0: Uh, Let's ask God to help us understand his word. Our Father, we do thank you that you have, in calling us to trust your Son, uh, made us part of your people. We thank you that you have brought us into a family, uh, a family which you say is to be characterised by love and truth in all things. And we thank you that within this family we can serve and be served with the gifts that you give your people. We can encourage and be encouraged in persevering in following Jesus. And Father, we thank you that you provide in your word uh, for leadership for your family, those whom you say should be entrusted with the care of your people. We pray that you would uh, grant us grace now to understand what your word says, uh, to receive it with humble and grateful hearts. And gracious Father, we pray that you would help me speak this word truthfully and clearly. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, leadership, uh, national leadership's been on the minds of many of us recently, although we uh, tend only to think about leadership when we have to make a choice or when we're feeling the effects of bad or absent leadership, don't we, when things go wrong or we feel decisions are not being made. But we know good leadership is important for the health, fruitfulness, productivity, integrity of organisations and nations and for dealing with the challenges that life inevitably throws up responding to them in ways that allow the organisation to prosper even in tough times. Good leadership, of course, can often be invisible, in part because its focus is not on itself, but on the health of the organisation and the successful completion of the task. But we know good leadership matters for nations and for businesses. I mean, business knows that, doesn't it? Even if it irritates us, that's why they pay so much money to corporate CEOs. Leadership matters. So, what kind of leadership should Christian congregations have? There are two parts to answering that question, with the second part dependent on the first. And the first part of the answer is that Christian congregations already have a leader, the Lord Jesus. He is the church's one Lord. By right, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so for that is what I am. That's what we preach, Jesus Christ as Lord. The Lord Jesus is the one head, the source of life and direction. And so the most important thing for a congregation is to stay connected to him, from whom the whole body grows. And the Lord Jesus has revealed himself as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd who loves us enough to lay down his life for us, who continues to care for, provide, nurture and protect his people. And because he is our Lord, our shepherd, our head, the church, the congregation, this congregation, is not a human club or institution, but it is in the words of Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, the church of God. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. It is precious to God. The congregation, the integrity of our life, matters to God. We have a leader, the Lord. He rules in his church. Jesus is and must always be the boss amongst us. So if we're asking what kind of leadership congregations must have, the first part of our answer is people who know they are not the boss people who are committed to following Jesus and know that they are accountable to him, that they will have to give account to the Lord, the chief shepherd, at the last day for the way they have served his people. Now, you might think that obvious, but there will be, as you saw in Acts 20, an experience sadly confirms, those who want their own following, who love power, who want the praise of others or the respect of others to bolster their own delicate egos. And so we have to be always alert for their destructive influence. Leaders must be the servants of God's people in being servants of Jesus, those who take to heart and follow the example he gave and commanded in John 13. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now that word is for every one of us, for every believer. But such service must especially be seen in those who have positions of authority in Christ's congregation. Such service is the test of whether they take their following of Jesus seriously. More, such service is the test of whether they've taken the centrality of Jesus, saving by his crucifixion, seriously. Whether they've allowed that great, painful, loving service to transform their lives and values. But Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5 also indicate that there are those entrusted with leadership in congregations, elders, who have positions of responsibility within a congregation that give them a matching authority, that is, sufficient authority to do the job entrusted to them. Now, what is the responsibility entrusted to them? Well, as you heard in Acts, they are people who have been appointed overseers by the Spirit to shepherd the church of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Now in the New Testament, the people who are spoken of as overseers, and that's uh, the word, the Greek word is the word behind our word bishop, kind of, uh, the people who are appointed overseers, are the same group of people as called elders. That's plain in Acts 20 and also Titus 1 and uh, 1 Peter. And it says this group of people are given the task of overseeing. That is, they have a responsibility to make sure that the congregation as a whole keeps working according to the owner's instruction. That is, that the congregation as a whole conforms its life to Jesus' teaching. Now, the other word used for their role, as we see in Acts 20, is to be a shepherd, is shepherding. Now, we're not familiar with a shepherd's role now. We're not as familiar as first-century believers were. But shepherding involved protecting the flock from thieves and predators like wolves and wild dogs. It involved guiding the flock, keeping them moving in the right, the safe, the healthy direction, and it includes nurturing the flock, feeding them, making sure that they get enough of the right food and drink at the right time so that their health is maintained. In fact, you get a bit of a picture of what is expected of a shepherd in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34 in both God's criticism of the bad shepherds of Israel and God's commitment to be Uh, himself their shepherd. So Ezekiel 34 says to those who have failed to be shepherds, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And then in Ezekiel uh, 34 later on where God says that he will search for the sheep and look after them. He'll look after his scattered flock. I'll tend them in good pasture. He'll provide for them. So to be a shepherd is to strengthen the weak, to heal the sick and comfort the wounded, to bring back those straying and search for the lost, to rule with gentleness and maintain the integrity of the flock and to keep the flock, God's people, safe and well-nourished. And they carry out this task, as we'll see, by faithfully teaching the word of God. Now, we can see from this, from Acts and 1 Peter and Ezekiel, that the role of an elder or overseer is actually a very important one to the well-being of the congregation, to your well-being. You get neglectful, selfish, unfaithful shepherds and it's disastrous. The flock is malnourished, scattered and vulnerable. So it makes the member's choice, your choice, through voting for elders, very important. You need to get it right for your own sake as followers of Jesus, for your own health and growth and fruitfulness as followers of Jesus. And that brings us to the second part of the answer to the question, what kind of leadership Christian congregations should have where we can work out, who we should recognise as equipped by God for this role in the congregation. And the first thing to settle on is what should be the source of our answer? You know, from where can we learn whom we should recognise to lead congregations? You see, there are lots of places we can look for advice and instruction on organisations and leadership in our society because leadership is common across organisations and societies. And organisations have lots of different kinds of leadership and you will have experienced that, especially once you move into your working life. And it's very easy for us to take ideas of leadership from elsewhere, from our experience at work or in some other organisation and to import that into our understanding of who should lead in Christian congregations. And so you might say, think, oh well, organisation needs a good administrator, or you might do what some other organisations do—you you, you have an analysis of the needs of the church, and you make your decision based on that. You know, on perhaps somebody with great communication skills, or a media profile, or academic brilliance, or dynamism, or perhaps you might think, oh, that's all too much work. Uh, I just ought to find the kind of person who suits me. You know, the kind of person I could get along. A real people person. Approachable and cuddly. Now, of course, your experience of leadership has definitely not been that. A hug-averse leadership. Uh, Right? Uh, Well, there's this one. I think some of the others are a bit more relaxed about it. Okay. Uh, But uh, the church belongs to God. Here Jesus rules. And that's what makes us. His followers. And so, Jesus' word, God's word, must rule in our choice. And only by listening to his word can we choose those who will promote and lead consistently with the rule of the Good Shepherd, our Lord Jesus. We have to be guided by God's word and God's word alone in this choice. And God's word speaks explicitly on what should be found in an elder, one who will have oversight. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It's plain that in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, if you look it up, that there is a great focus on personal qualities, on character. In fact, the only functional gift spoken of is teaching. Now we'll think about why only teaching is focused on and why this instruction has the emphasis it does when we've looked at the character that's described here. It says the overseer has to be above reproach, that is, blameless, no observable known faults in his conduct. You can't look at him and find fault in the way he relates, say, to his wife wife, or the way he drives or how he conducts his business. He's not open to attack for his behaviour, especially in relation to the qualities that are mentioned later in the passage. Faithful to his wife. Now, that's a good translation of the phrase husband of but one wife. Paul is not giving instruction about how often one can be married, but about how the man has conducted himself in marriage has he been faithful to his wife such faithfulness to your promise to your wife is a great demonstration of integrity faithfulness to commitments of a heart set to please jesus he's to be temperate and self-controlled temperate's the notion that he's kind of clear-headed not given to extremes self-control carries a sense of thoughtful and these two together So that the elder's not to be a slave to his appetites, not ruled by his emotions, passions and impulses. He's to be self-controlled so that he's able to actually stand back and look at what might be the real issue. Respectable, that is, he has integrity. He lives a life that causes others to respect him. Hospitable, willing to spend his substance to support believers in need. Able to teach. This is the one ministry skill spoken of, both here and in Titus. It doesn't mean that the person has to be an orator, but it does mean that in groups or one-on-one he has to explain the Christian teaching and apply it to the lives of those who hear. And that's why, on the whole, we look for our elders from our growth group leaders and uh, we'll see that this is an essential ability, one vital to the health of the congregation. And now there are some negatives not given to drunkenness. A drunkard is unreliable, will be shamed, definitely not respectable. A drunkard may harm relationships by what they say or do when they're under the influence. But an elder must rule himself, not be ruled by anything else. Not violent but gentle, and that means not a bully, not someone who is threatening or abusive. You always feel uneasy, tense with a bully. You have to feel safe in an elder's presence. Be confident that if you have a question or an issue, they'll listen to you. That if you get something wrong, you'll be corrected gently and encouraged, not threatened or abused. Elders should be gentle and kind, even when they're needing to correct you or rebuke your behaviour. Not quarrelsome, but peaceable. Some people, and we've met them, haven't we? Most of us just have to win and delight in having a quarrel just so they can win. They want to pick fights to show how much better they are, more insightful or more faithful. We learn in peace. And our understanding, not a demonstration of the elder's intellectual superiority, has to be the elder's goal. Not a lover of money. Not someone who will use you or the congregation for their own material advancement. You can never trust such a person, for they always have their own interests, not yours at the forefront of their thinking. In fact, elders need to be people who can bear material loss for the welfare of the congregation. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? How do you know someone has the character Paul has just described? Only by observation. And where do we see people in relationships and tested in relationships over years? It's in their families. It's in family relationships that people's character is developed and proved, where we can see the fruit of their relating, their relational competence. And it makes sense because relationships in families are like relationships in congregations. It's in the family that we see thoughtful provision by those in authority, the parents, for the needs of dependents. It's in the family that we see the prioritisation of time for the good of those entrusted to their care, where we see the capacity to develop in others an ability to relate well, to trust and be trusted, where we see the ability to preserve unity, the ability to correct in love. All fruit of the character Paul is looking for. Now it doesn't say here, or in Titus, that the children must be believers. That is the work of God's spirit giving a new birth. But it does say they must be respectful and that under the elders' roof they conform their life to the household standards. Now this spirit, Requirement, in a sense, can be challenging and can make us nervous in an age where parental authority is marginalised and undermined and where sometimes, in our congregation, our elders are young. But the text directs us to the management of the household in the present, what we can see, not to some future, some outcome that we can't see. And then it says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. There must be time for the elder to prove themselves faithful. Appointing a recent convert could give them a dangerously inflated view of themselves, and like the devil, they might start to trust in themselves and their own sanctity and ability. Elders need time to know their own frailty and fallibility, their own capacity for failure and sin. An untried person can be dismissive of the failings of others and impatient with their struggles, and their spiritual pride will destroy themselves and others. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he'll not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, this isn't saying that the world's estimate should guide our appointment, but the elder in many contexts is representing the Christian community and mixing with those outside the congregation on behalf of the congregation. Under what circumstances will that elder get an hearing? That won't happen if there's doubt, say, over the integrity or reliability of their work, if, if for example, they're a tradesman. It won't happen if they're known for championing some eccentricity that's abhorrent to the community, like forbidding marriage, as some of the false teachers at Ephesus were doing. And it won't happen if still prominent in the community's mind is some sin for which the person may have found forgiveness but still stirs up resentment. Or where there are differences of education and culture that means the believer will be looked down upon. An elder's role is hard enough in a critical society without exposing the elder to continuing further criticism and disdain where that society will interpret everything they do in the worst possible light. The goal of this instruction is to get a hearing for the gospel and there are lots of traps that the devil sets. You see, someone exposed to constant criticism and rejection from the society around them can start to feel that they're letting down their community and get discouraged. Or they might become fearful of the response of those outside and be tempted to compromise. Or they might, facing that criticism react with hostility themselves and lose their love for the world and create a withdrawn, defensive and insular Christian community. Look, says Paul, for proven, tested character in someone who can teach, someone who has a proven, tested capacity for promoting the other's good in relationships, someone who is respected not just within the congregation but within the community at large. Now, why? Why this kind of character and why this kind of ministry? Why doesn't Paul say, look for somebody with things we might look for, somebody with a lot of academic learning or who's been a success in the business world or who has a charismatic personality or who's gifted with prophecy and miracles? Why this kind of person, this kind of ministry? Well, firstly, this kind of elder, can promote the growth of the members of the congregation because there is a goal, a God-given goal to Christian ministry and that's to present every believer fully mature in Christ. For that goal to be realised, you need a good model and you need good relationships. People need to see the Christian life lived out in relationships. This kind of elder is, as he ought to be, a model of what it is to follow Jesus in their local circumstances. For the life described is a life of love in the context of settled relationships. And we need good relationships to grow. You see that in the family. And church relationships are like family relationships. And in families, bullies crush, Drunkards are unreliable and disappoint, the greedy exploit. And none can be trusted and none can nurture others. And an elder with this character has the tested ability to practice the kind of relationships that are needed for growth, where you can rebuke without crushing, encourage without flattering, correct gently, love without indulging. And you need that testedness, for this has to be on display constantly, 24 hours a day and over years, not just now and then when it suits. And secondly, this kind of elder can protect and enhance the the church's reputation in the wider community. And that is important not just for the church, but for the gospel. We operate in a wider context, with an often suspicious and critical community watching on. And our leaders, our recognised leaders, carry the reputation of the community, the Christian community, and of Christ on their shoulders. There were, for example, false teachers in Ephesus, and they did things like forbid certain foods, forbid marriage, they were greedy, they sought to exploit believers for money, oh, and they quarrelled over words and over trivia. Such false teachers caused the reputation of a Christian community to be trashed and their message dismissed. Just as well, someone running off with the church's funds or with someone else's wife, or promising and not delivering, and then suggesting it's somebody's lack of faith or lack of giving that's the problem. All those things trash the church's reputation. Someone with the character described in 1 Timothy 3 who is able to show integrity in their lives, Honourable relationships, honesty in handling money, integrity and reliability in their work, thoughtfulness in their responses to criticism, kindness and gentleness towards the vulnerable, that person enhances the congregation's reputation and wins a hearing from those outside. And Paul's instruction about elders and leadership in the church is given in a context of concern for the gospel. The message of salvation which Paul says in this letter is for all people. God our Saviour wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Gospel and reception of the Gospel. Well that's on Paul's mind as he gives this instruction just as it should be on ours. And thirdly, we need this kind of character and giftedness because elders are entrusted with the teaching of the word in the congregation. And the reception of that word is essential to the identity and life of Christian people. In fact, it's through the teaching of the gospel that we are Christ's people. Only this way, where his word is heard and conformity to it, to trust and obey it, is encouraged and modelled, Can we be who we claim to be, the people of our Lord Jesus? See, think of the centrality of the word to our life as Jesus' people. To be his disciples, we are to be taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That's right, we are his followers as we hear his word and do it. Our Lord Jesus rules us, his people, by his word. He guides and directs us by his word. And yes, he saves us, Romans 1, by his gospel word, the power of God for salvation. Now both those considerations come together in 2 Timothy. The word makes us wise for salvation, it saves us. And through its teaching, rebuke, correction and training, we are equipped to live the life that God wants us to be. And in the scriptures we are reminded over and over again that we must keep listening to Jesus' word. And so we have to have leaders who teach Jesus' word. If those we choose are unable to teach, one-on-one as well as in the group, if those who are entrusted with teaching the word in a congregation are dismissed as hypocrites... If teaching can't be received because it's lost in bullying, threats or argumentativeness about things that don't matter, the word will not be clear amongst us. It will not come to us with authority and it won't get traction in our common life. Christ will not rule amongst us and the congregation will wither as his people. Why this kind of eldership? Well, they can have the ministry which is needed for the healthy growth of the congregation that preserves and promotes the reputation of the congregation and the gospel in the wider society and which will sustain the central place of the word of God in the congregation's life and in reception of the gospel in the community. So be wise about your choice of elders and confirm your choice to God's word. And as you... Prepare to do that. Be thankful. Be thankful that the Lord Jesus commands and provides this kind of leadership for you. The Lord Jesus wants your well-being. He wants you nurtured. He wants his people characterised by what matters to him, love and kindness, truth and godliness. So be thankful and be prayerful. Our Lord Jesus gives to his people the leaders they need. This character can't be manufactured. No amount of leadership classes or institutes will give you these kinds of people. They are his gift to his people, prepared through faithful living over years. So you should be praying for such elders and praying with confidence. He wants his people healthy and safe. If we are not getting this kind of leadership, perhaps it's because we're not asking. Be thankful, be prayerful, And know that your job is to recognise those whom God has given, and to recognise that such men and only such men are fit to exercise pastoral care amongst God's people. Don't overlook those with this character because others say are noisier. Don't disdain because they're not worldly or influential or recognised. Don't be misled by whatever your background is in leadership into choosing someone other than God's word says should be elders amongst his people. To set aside the scripture's instruction is folly that invites trouble. And when the Lord provides such leaders, imitate them. Elders may have different gifts to ours, but the character of an elder is described here in Timothy and Titus, is the character we should all have. All of us should be faithful in marriage, above reproach, self-controlled, hospitable, kind. None of us should be addicted to anything, grog or porn or drugs or Facebook. None of us should be bullies or argumentative. None of us should be seeking to exploit relationships in the church for personal gain. That's why Jesus wants elders such as these. So you can see examples in your context, in your circumstances of following Jesus. And when the Lord provides, please keep praying for your elders and pastors because it can be a tough gig and a long service is called for and lots of stuff can happen over these years and yet What's called for is consistency of life and teaching over many years. So for your own benefit, for the reputation of the gospel, to make sure we are a community where Jesus rules in truth and not just in show, for the good of the world who desperately needs to receive the gospel, to see the goodness of following Christ, pray and choose wisely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would help us to take it to heart and only choose to have positions of leadership responsibility amongst us, to be elders amongst us, those whose life and teaching conform to your instruction. But more than that, Father, we pray that all of us would want to live lives that can be models to others of what it is to follow Jesus in our circumstances. That you would move all of us to be faithful to our commitments, to be kind and gentle, self-controlled, thoughtful, people whom others can respect. Our Father, we do pray this so that together we would be built up as your people and together we would be a light to the world. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this word. Give us the grace of living according to it. In Jesus' name, amen.